What's happening, guys, and welcome to the Uneducated Ape Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Schluterkat. On today's podcast, we're happy to welcome Chuck O'Neill, founder of Revolution Wing Chun. Today, we'll be having a discussion with Chuck a little bit about his personal life and journey through martial arts, a little bit about development of business in a niche market of martial arts, mindset development for coaching, leading, and learning, as well as the relationship between mentor and mentee. I'm very excited to be able to share this podcast with you all. And I cannot wait to hear what Chuck has to share. Without further ado, Chuck O'Neill, welcome to the Uneducated Ape Podcast. Hey, Brent. Hey, Chuck. How are you doing? All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for you taking some time today to talk to us. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so we just, uh, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your, your personal uh, perspective on martial arts. And um, first off, just maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, just for the guests that are listening, uh, so they can get a bit of a perspective um, Okay, who you are and where you come from and where it's brought you to. All right. Um, so, yes, um, I'm Chuck O'Neill. Um, I've been doing martial arts for a very long time. Uh, I started back at the age of eight uh, into judo. Um, later on, I moved into things like taekwondo and kempo karate. Uh, eventually, I came into uh, uh, Wing Chun. I've been doing that art for over 20 years, as well as being an instructor in it, um, and founded Revolution Wing Chun with that. I was also a uh, Jeet Kune Do instructor as well, and uh, also working on Kali, as well as now I'm a uh, purple belt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, at this time, anyways, I'm currently living in Malta. So in a short version, that is me. Uh, the only other thing I did in the meantime while I was in Canada uh, back then, it was also, um, I was also teaching um, Enforce special constables and enforcement units, uh, defensive tactic, tactics, and as well as being a simulation role player. Wow! Yeah. So your 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 life has pretty much been uh, just exploring the martial arts and uh, acquiring like a number of different perspectives and and skill within the the martial arts in general. Yes, that's that's pretty much what's happened. <laughs> it seems to be like uh, something that you always been interested in something that maybe you've been in for pretty much the majority of your life. Um, was it mostly just an adult uh, part of your life that you were involved in the martial arts? Has it been something uh, since childhood? Yeah, no, it started really pretty much when, since childhood. You know, at eight, I got into judo. Um, a lot of that came out of the just being a scrappy kid that liked to fight and liked Saturday, Saturday morning kung fu movies. Um, so my father put me into judo at the time. Because uh, that's really, you had your choice of judo, judo or karate uh, way back uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. You didn't have a lot of options at that point. Um, so then I did that for, for a few years until uh, I liked martial arts more than school. And uh, at that point, uh, my mother decided that I needed an education. So they had to pull me out of that. And uh, later on, I got back into Taekwondo because um, I was interested in a striking art. And again, Taekwondo was a very popular thing at the time during my teenage years. Um, I did that. Then I had to take a small break because of a knee injury. And then 
and again, the issue of not focusing on school so much. So um, there's a continual theme there. And then, um, and then later I get, got into Kempo as a, in my early 20s. So there was a small gap in there. But it's, it's pretty much in the blood and, and uh, is carried through even during my years uh, doing engineering as a mechanical engineer and a project manager. Um, when you were involved in the martial arts initially, um, I mean, when, when anybody typically gets involved in something, they have a bit of an understanding as to what they're heading into it for. Um, I'm curious to know what it was that you had expected initially to kind of gain from training martial arts, but uh, I guess over time, what it is that you've maybe come to experience unexpectedly, what did you get out of it that maybe you didn't initially expect? Right. Well, I, this is a really good question. I think when I first started out, for me, um, I think for me, there was the the physical aspect of it, um, as well as being a very small, skinny kid. You know, I used to get bullied as well as a kid. So, you know, at that time, uh, I liked just scrapping anyways. So I think for me, it was just I wanted, you know, more self-defense and more, you know, know how to fight. And I think at a certain point, I think my parents were looking at it as a way of also burning energy out of me um, and maybe get some discipline because uh, at the time I also was a little hot-headed. Um, and, um, and I think, but over, over time, I think it moved away from strictly just a physical um, manifestation of movement. And then it moved, I've started to recognize there were some cerebral things that actually happened, uh, particularly when I got into uh, Kempo Karate, because there was a lot more theory involved in that at the time. Um, and as I did that, I started to recognize other aspects of it. And, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of uh, emotional and mental health aspects that can come out of it, um, as long with the benefits of, like, you know, uh, self-discipline, uh, self-motivation, um, as, as well as just getting that humbling effect of, uh, recognizing that uh, sometimes you're, as they say, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. And, uh, and I think in the bigger picture now at, at 47, I find that it's, um, it has a lot to do. It also has a lot to do with um, giving uh, a social context to people in this day and age where social, social connections are much more difficult. And I think too, it's also, um, I also find it just uh, uh, though those that don't do martial arts may not understand that, but uh, whether it's doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whether it's sparring, given the circumstance, it can be actually very um, almost meditative to a certain degree. Um, and, that's, and that's also in the forms as well. You can always get very meditative in the individual arts. So I'm curious to know, I guess, also, um, just in relation to what you had mentioned about it being meditative, uh, you notice that, uh, you know, if you've perhaps not had a chance to train, do you, do you feel like it uh, affects you in any way psychologically or even just like mentally, emotionally? Do you feel like relief in some way where it can be almost sort of cathartic or even just um, freeing, I guess, when you have the opportunity, say you've been a while, uh, away for a while, like on a business trip you know, you never had a chance to train during that week and then you come back to it. Uh, do you find that it's uh, 
what, what, what do you, what would you describe it as if you could describe it as anything? Yeah. Well, no, I think that's the thing. I think, um, again, with, uh, I like the question in that the fact that what happens is I find that you, I tend to find that the training actually just keeps you balanced and anchored, uh, for myself. You know, it's, um, when you're not there, sometimes, you know, you get that, you've just got that extra energy that, you know, you're, uh, you'll find that it just doesn't, sometimes you just kind of lose that little bit of grounding. You're caught in the, um, what you got to worry about next, what's, what's got to come next. And those are important things, uh, to move forward in life. You have to be able to plan for the future. Uh, but just importantly, uh, especially in martial arts, you have to be present at that particular moment. And sometimes in life, uh, being as you know we're very caught with our technology you know uh, social media and everything else we're much more uh stuck inside our heads and we seem to disassociate ourselves with our bodies so by getting back to that martial arts portion of life um you you get back into that um i, I don't want to call it a primal but it's almost primal that primal you're back in your body and you have to be present here not 3000 miles away or online or in three different time zones or, you know, texting somewhere else, you have to be present in that moment, in that time, and nothing else really matters at that point. Um, you get a reprieve, if you will, from your everyday life. And, um, and I find that alone is um, truly, you know, a godsend that way. Um, so when I start missing it over a period of time, there's that edge that comes on and that you, you know, that's what you're missing and, and that you have to get back to it. Hence, I think that's why I say for me, martial arts is in my blood. Uh, it's more than just a pastime. So it's more of uh, out of your mind and into your, into your uh, body sort of experience rather than having to feel like it's a, some sort of a hyper logical process where you have to calculate every little piece and try to plan every single you know, facet, and if it doesn't go your way, then it's, you know, everything kind of collapses. You can kind of just invest yourself in that moment and really truly enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing is, it's not that there isn't strategy or whatever during the situation, if you're sparring or grappling or whatever you're doing as an art, but, but it's, it's very different. Um, you, you can't be so far inside your head um, because it just, it turns out, you have to deal with the physical presence uh, at that time as well. So it's, it is very good that way when you get that beautiful balance and you're said, you got to be present here, grounded feet on the ground, what's really going on, which, you know, on one level, it's always been uh, one of my own tendencies of, of through project management and leadership. It's, you always have to have your own boots on the ground and martial arts reminds me of that all the time that my, my feet have to be on the ground present in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess that's a, that's a great way for us to kind of touch on the subject of mindset and how it relates to um, that kind of experience. So you mentioned that you, you were a project manager for some time. Uh, you were training during that time as well. So how did that uh, influence the way that you had run your projects and your staff and dealt with your clients? Right. With that, it's interesting when you, when you have that perspective of, um, uh, of martial arts and training after a period of time, I find that it, it everything you, you can take a different view on things. I think 
um, I found that for me, because again, as I mentioned before, that idea of, you know, you're, you're got to be grounded in that moment or feet on the ground in the moment. I was uh, actually very actively involved with my, with my teams at the time. So I'd want to know what's going on with my teams. You know, I just wouldn't, though I had an office, I didn't like being stuck in that office and then uh, wait to uh, react to a situation. Um, where for me, martial arts kind of taught me that proactive mindset and, um, and from other things that I've learned is that you have to be proactive um, because there will always be crisis and there will always be challenges. But if you're sitting in a back corner, you know, just waiting for the problems to come to you, you'll find that you're behind the eight ball. You know, they always say that uh, action will always be reaction. And, and that's very much a strategic thing inside martial arts. So you need to understand that if you're proactive, you know, you can get ahead of things and you can actually control the environment to a certain degree or the circumstances to a degree. Um, you, you also find, too, that when you have that context, especially in martial arts that are physical, uh, whether it's boxing or kickboxing or grappling or judo, jiu-jitsu, anything where there's an impact of some type, um, you find that... Um, you know, you've gotten to put your body through that little bit of grind. So mentally, your toughness goes up. Um, so under poor circumstances or bad negotiations or things like that, you're, I found that I was able to just, you know, you can deal with that grind and you can say, it's okay. It, I've been through worse. I've been through worse. You know, um, you know, it's that military saying of you, you know, you don't rise to the occasion, but you fall to your training. And I found that for me, martial arts made such a big difference that way that, mentally you developed a certain level of toughness that um you know when you're dealing with that uh, intellectual onslaught um and dealing with problems and dealing with the emotional component that gets involved especially if you're dealing with finances and and negotiating contracts or problems or delays by having that grounding you find that you know what that emotional outburst it has its place and time uh, given on a circumstance, but if you're driving from that, especially when you're sparring or competing, driving with either rage or anything, it doesn't get you anywhere. It actually, uh, you know, it actually hinders you uh, in efficiently finding the best solution to the problem. So for me, with all those elements, it played such a big, such a big deal on how I did management and how I chose to lead my teams. So I guess the, that would also then play a, a significant role in your coaching as well. So coaching any uh, upcoming students or athletes um, in any of the sports that you're involved in with the martial arts. So um, maybe could you uh, explain a little bit about how that also impacts um, your approach to coaching uh, in martial arts, right? Do you feel like relatable in the way that uh, you just described in the business world to uh, coaching a martial art or what would be maybe some of the differences in the hmm. That's a good question. I think when I look at that, um, there are some relatable elements to it. Um, one of the biggest things I've, I've recognized coaching um, is each individual person, uh, just like an individual client uh, or employee, they have their own perceived mindsets and perspectives, and they have their own, own objectives, their own personal objectives. 
Um, sometimes they may be uh, in line with yours. Sometimes they may be at cross purposes of yours. And you have to recognize that even as a coach um, in martial arts. And sometimes you have to be able to see uh, the potential of that individual of where and, and, and say, okay, I know where you want to go. How can I get you there? Um, and just like in what I consider really good leadership, um, the goal of the leader is not necessarily to show you how good they are as it is how good the team can be and get the team to where it needs to be. And in this case, when it comes to coaching, it's the same idea where at myself as a coach, as an instructor and coach, my goal has always been to say, okay, how can I get you to be better? Right. It's not about whether I'm a good coach or not. It's whether I can get you the results that you need to have. And when you're doing that, you start to recognize that, you know, because people are human, um, they'll have good days. They'll have bad days. Um, they, you know, just in their own personal lives. And as a coach, you kind of have to recognize that you don't always have to play to it, but you do have to recognize it. And then you also have to recognize that, okay, you have to look at their strengths and their weaknesses. And a good coach will encourage you in your strengths, but will always get you to work on your weak spots because though that's where if you're competing or anything else, that's where you're going to get caught is in, in the weak zones. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we live in a world today where part of that mindset at one point was, you know, don't worry about your weaknesses, just focus on your strengths, focus on your strengths, focus on your strengths. And, and while that is good, unfortunately, when you come up against um, some form of adversity that ends up being because of your weaknesses, because you haven't learned to develop them, um, that becomes that, that becomes a whole problem because you don't know how to cope with it. And so the, a more simpler problem that attacks your weaknesses can actually cripple you from being able to use your strength. So when you're coaching, you find that that mindset has to carry over and you have to keep looking at the whole picture and moving the whole person forward um, you know, you can have a, a person that's a, a, a tremendous striker, but if they don't have any emotional maturity, um, you know, it doesn't help them because they'll just use, they'll fuel a lot with rage. Um, they won't move ahead in life um, either. You know, they may be great in the ring, but they may be very weak in the rest of their areas of life. And so sometimes, and you find that, you know, some of those areas in life actually are completely related to the ring or, or the art that you're training. Um, so there's that constant overlay all the time when you're coming through it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Mike Tyson always talked about going into the ring and he was filled with fear as a young man and, uh, custom auto and, uh, his team at the time when he was, uh, going into the Olympics and aiming for becoming the youngest world heavyweight world champion was, Largely, the strategy was based on just ferocity, but he admitted quite some time later through books and interviews um, throughout the later years after he'd retired that he'd been filled with an immense amount of fear. He hadn't really been coached on how to uh, how to manage that. So um, I guess that particularly fear and anger would probably be some of the easiest tools available to an athlete, particularly a young athlete, and depending on their individual circumstances, it could uh, perhaps cause some catastrophe down the line for them. Um, you know, he's, I suppose you could say he's one of the best examples of that. Um, so definitely something to consider. I mean, on any level, you say that it would be pretty much warranted for any coach at any level. Um, 
of, of coaching for any particular athlete, whether it be from e-ball all the way up to, you know, uh, big leagues, it would be important for, for a coach to recognize on an individual basis and be able to work with their athletes. Uh, yeah, de- definitely. I, I think it's, uh, you know, the psychological component is such a big, big thing. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, myself, when I look at coaching, um, the responsibility is to be more than just being able to teach you to strike or to flip or to hit somebody with a stick or whatever it is I'm doing as it is, it's just as important for that development of the full, the full athlete. Um, because as you do that, um, you actually get a better athlete overall, you get a better athlete. Um, you know, in across so many different areas, um, you know, and it helps them especially. And I think some of the best coaches um, are the ones that can actually coach their athlete through failure. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, And it's how you look at it. Um, You know, sometimes you get people that say, you know, we don't believe in failure. You know, we just win, win, win. And unfortunately, my mindset has always been, no, failure exists, but failure is only failure is useful as long as you look at it as a tool for learning, right? As a tool of experimentation. So if you're trying something in training that's different than what you normally do and you fail, it just means you've, you're, you're learning how to get past that point. But unfortunately, because we also kind of grown up in a, in a culture of, you know, failure is bad. Um, you know, it's either success or nothing. Um, you know, it, it, we, we've lost the message where it's like, no, in order to, uh, you know, as a child, you know, we, you, everybody, I like hearing that analogy all the time of, you know, when a child is learning how to walk, you know, you don't sit there and say, okay, he tried to, the boy or girl stood up, tried to walk, fell three times, fell three times. Okay. Stop walking. You don't need to do it. Just keep crawling for the rest of your life. You know, what do we do is we encourage the child to keep going. Um, but the thing is internally for that child, what's really happening is they're just, tr- they're continually trying and failing to figure out how to make that motor response work and say, okay, how do I do this? What's involved? How do I, you know, how's my equilibrium work? How does, you know, does this foot go now? Does that foot, how, you know, what happens when I lean forward? What happens if I lean back? And they're subconsciously just continually grinding all those small motor functions out to get forward. And when it comes to us, you know, even as a coach, you know, it's like, let's put you in a position of failure for you to learn because psychologically the worst thing to have happened. And they've, they've shown this in a lot of, in a lot of sports science is you get all this buildup and they've noticed this with uh, Olympic level athletes, especially there's all this buildup up to the moment of the games. Then whatever happens in the games, whether win, lose, or draw, there's this massive, there's massive cases of depression and everything else afterwards. Why? And this sense of, you know, loss because, you know, you've trained three, four years for something and now you're like, okay, now what, you know, my life is now, what do I do with my life now? It's gone. Like, you know, where am I going to go? Unless of course you're young enough and you can try again in another four years or whatever. And I think as a coach, I think it's so important to be able to coach somebody through that process and say, okay, yeah, you, you, you lost. It's not the end of the world, but let's move forward. And, um, I think that's one of those areas, um, 
that I had to learn even from my own personal life that kind of fed into my coaching style as well. You know, that failure is not bad as long as it's a learning process. So I guess you could say that even inside of the coaching um, or rather the title of coach and um, perhaps the, the duties of what coaching might entail, you would also include the, the, the principle or the, the practice of mentorship. Yeah, yes, very much so, I think. And, um, and I think that that can become a, a crucial element um, inside that. And there's a level of trust that has to be built through that mentorship. Um, now, the, the sad thing is, is with that mentorship, um, it's finding the right mentor for the right problem. Um, sometimes you can get very lucky and you can find somebody that can mentor you across several different planes, you know, like whether it's, uh, you know, relationships, finance, uh, whatever your training as an athlete, um, you know, you might be able to find, um, you know, in business, whatever, but there, in many cases, um, what I've seen in my own life is, um, you can have somebody that's a really good coach, a boxing coach or a, any type of coach, you know, in a particular sport, but financially they're in disarray or in relationships, you know, they've gone through more relationships than most. Uh, but unfortunately we think we should take advice from them as well, as far as how, how I should live my life in those components. And I think that becomes a danger. We look at a guru and we say, Oh, this person is great in, I don't know, you know, some type of nutritional information, but we then, they start branching into other areas and it's like, but we trust them for that. But unfortunately we don't look at their fruit or what they're doing and whether it is successful in that element and say, okay, no, I can listen to you for that, but not for this. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important when you're looking at mentors and men, uh, you know, you look at them for as human beings and recognize their strengths and their weaknesses and say, okay, these are the strengths I want. If I'm going to learn from their weaknesses, I'm going to learn what I shouldn't be doing from them, you know, from that perspective. And uh, having had a few mentors in my life, you know, it's, you know, in different areas, not just martial arts. Um, I've been able to see that and, and appreciate that more and recognize they're still human. So um, on, on that subject, um, I'd be curious to know what you would say is one of the, if not at least several of the most essential pieces to start establishing uh, that kind of a relationship. From your experience, anyhow, what, would you, what, would, uh, what were some of the more integral parts, I would say, uh, when looking for a mentor uh, you know, on a person-to-person -person basis? I know there are some instances where we can find uh, mentors in ways that uh, they're no longer with us. Yeah, no, it's true. I think that's the thing. Like I've had, you know, different people, uh, you said those that weren't alive, if you had books and things like that. And you say, there's something I admire about that individual. Um, you know, you, you devour it, you know, like as a martial artist, who didn't fall in love with Bruce Lee, right? You know, I've devoured all his books, tried to see his perspective on, on martial arts, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, as far as everything else in his life, you know, I says there's different areas to say, I can, I can borrow from that or this. 
you know, there's people in business, um, you know, that I respected, you know, like whether it's uh, people like John Maxwell, you know, Jim Rohn, uh, classic people like that, Zig Ziglar, you know, to, to be able to get mentorship from them through videos and books is important. And then when it came to, um, you know, personal areas of people that I actually met firsthand that mentored me over periods of time, you know, some of it comes off with that. Yes, I, I they have something I want. Um, there's there's a skill they have or an understanding that they have that I don't seem to have at this point, and they appear to be moving in the direction that I want to move in. That's that's what the other thing is critical. And then I think the other thing is um, when you get to know these mentors is to be able to say, okay, you know, are we being like minded? You know, there's a lot of things that kind of go there. Um, and that's, you know, include, you know, just basic, you know, whether it's part of the social mindset or your ethical and moral mindset, those things have to play into it. You know, like, you know, if it's one of those things you can say, hey, I want to be a billionaire, um, you know, and I want to be kind to everybody and treat everybody fairly. And, you're, and the guy that you want to mentor, get a mentorship from is a billionaire, but he's also a sociopath. It doesn't work. Right. You have to recognize that you're cross purposes in your mindset. Um, and I think, too, some of the best things I've ever gotten out of that is um, when I came across a couple of my mentors, one of the I say, I'd say one of my biggest mentors uh, was a, a couple by uh, Jeff and Betty. Uh, I used to work for a company that they, they had at the time. They were owners and um, you know, they were incredibly influential in the way I look at business and uh, certain areas of my life. Um, you know, I even was asking them questions about, uh, we were, my wife and I were very, very youngly married, you know, like the first year or two. I remember asking them questions about marriage. They were already married for 25 years and they worked together. So it was like, you know, how, what do you guys do? What's important to you? And, you know, they were more than willing to share um, and I find that if you're looking for a live mentor, um, one of them, I think, is to be genuine um, to them if you're looking for a mentor. Um, also, know what you want out of a mentor. Um, just don't blindly, hey, mentor me. Um, and I think the other thing is to make sure you can connect with them uh, and if you do find a mentor, I think one of the biggest things is follow through. Um, if, a, if a mentor ever asks you, say, hey, you should check this out, guess what? You have to go check it out. Um, you, know, you know, it's like one of those things where even when I mentor people, sometimes that's part of a test. It's like, okay, here's this. Tell me, let me see what you do with this. Because um, you have to consider whether you're paying for mentorship or whether somebody is, has chosen to uh, mentor you, you know, out of their their will to just be kind and want to see see you get ahead. Um, you know, they we always say time is valuable, and um, so when you're looking for that mentor, recognize that it's not about you. Um, you may think it's about you because you want to get their skill, but it's actually about the both of you. It's a relationship that you have to develop between the two, and that relationship shouldn't be take, take, take on one side. There has to be two sides to it. Um, and most mentors recognize, unless, you know, you're paying for your mentor. If you're paying for your mentor, that's a business transaction. But if you're not, 
you have to recognize it for what it is. And it's, it's a relationship build. Um, and that, uh, you know, you need to cultivate that. And uh, because it's one of the things that I know, just uh, talking to another person that I respect who uh, we talked and I consider him a short-term mentor. And we talked about it. And he said, yes, the worst thing he's ever seen is somebody just continually take from him um, and not ever give back. You know, you're not saying you have to give back at the same level, but it's that relationship component. And so when you are looking for a mentor, you have to consider these things. Um, and you want to say, okay, you have to have a clear idea of what you want and a clear idea of can this individual possibly get me to that point, even if it's, even if it's only halfway up the stairs uh, of your goal. Definitely uh, true to the nature of uh, any real valuable relationship, and it's based on uh, reciprocity and uh, mutual respect, sort of honoring each other's time and uh, ability to provide whatever it is that they can bring. It is a, uh, a business transaction, like you described, or more of a personal relationship. So it's definitely something I think a lot of people. Um, perhaps aren't necessarily familiar with if they haven't, you know, ever experienced mentorship. Uh, I know yeah. a few people personally that um, have expressed the interest in this part of the discussion that we're having today because they themselves uh, don't necessarily uh, feel that they've ever experienced uh, mentorship. So I think having a little more clarity on this particular subject is um, is valuable because I don't necessarily feel that in many cases uh, it's something that uh, often discussed openly uh, amongst most people. I mean, uh, there are plenty of people that are just you know living their lives, doing what they do day in and day out. They work nine to five. Some of them work several jobs, uh, you know, to keep the bills and the life you know going. And uh, I feel like um, having this understanding is uh, is pretty pretty essential, at least for, for those of whom out there that I'm aware of uh, on an individual basis that might be seeking something like that. So uh, I guess like uh, from your perspective and uh, having experienced both sides of it, being the mentor and the mentee, um, particularly when it comes to being the mentor, what was it um, or perhaps what is it that you find is most uh, interesting and, uh, in terms of experiencing and what is it? really gained from um, being able to have yourself in that kind of a position? Hmm. Um, I think when you look at that position, with, either as the mentee or the mentor, um, I find that there's a lot of things that have to happen. I think uh, as, as a mentor, as, on my side as a mentor, a lot of it is, for me, it's like, yes, can I make that commitment to that person? You know, and that's an honest question I have to ask myself. The other one is, can I, can I help that person get to where they need to go? Right. Um, because sometimes you will find people that just want that, you know, uh, I'm going to use, they want a minion. They don't want a mentee. They want, you know, they don't want someone that, wa that wants to move ahead. They want somebody that's going to just follow them everywhere they go. Um, very successful mentors. They don't want you to follow them. I find, I think they, they want to see you, they want to see you get to the next level. And that there's a satisfaction in that. And they're like, cool, if I can get you to that point, that's awesome. And I'm very happy with that. And I think, too, I think with the idea of that being on the opposite side um, of it and being mentored by someone, 
um, I found that, you know, it's that re- it is that respect point that has to happen. Um, you know, I was always mindful of the people that I got mentored from that their time is valuable. Even if, even if I was paying them for whatever reason, their time was valuable. Right. When, when, you know, and you know what you, you have to accept the more humble role at that point. Um, I'm not saying be subservient to the individual, but, but a more humble role. Um, understand that they're choosing to give up their time and their day for you. Um, and especially when you start dealing with more and more successful people, as I said, again, you know, uh, Jeff and Betty, they were great mentors. They were multimillionaires, um, to me. And I know whenever they spent any time, whether it was 15 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, in the day, in the office, you know, you know, I was privileged enough to, to go to their house a couple of times, you know, and just talk to them and, you know, and even my wife, Kate, and I, we've taken them out to dinner just to ask them more questions. We said, we're going to take you to dinner, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, we paid for the dinner. You know, you take your mentor for coffee or whatever and say, I'd like to ask you some questions, um, you know, and it, it's so important. And I think it's about being genuine and, and being considered about it. Um, you know, there's a case where just coming to mind where um, my wife, Kate, is successful in what she does. And um, a friend of ours just called her up out of the blue. Uh, we were kind of friends and they called her up at the, out of the blue and left a message on her voicemail machine saying, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. You show me how to do it. Give me a call back. Excuse me. <laughs> you know, if you're making a successful living at anything, it's kind of like saying, Hey, you know, it's very nice that you're a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, a martial arts coach or anything. And they say, Hey, show me what you're doing and I'll do it for free. Just show me, give me the blunt. There's no courtesy. There was no, Hey, wait a minute. I got to understand that this is still a skill set or a commodity that people would normally pay for. Why am I asking rudely and abruptly to command somebody to do something? Um, and I think that's, I think in our, our culture and our day and age, that idea of mentorship, um, it, it's, I find that it's being used by people that want to truly want to try to get ahead in life and they want to move forward in life. Um, and I think it's so important to recognize that. And, you know, the, the, some people say, well, I don't have the time or I don't have the money. Um, because like you mentioned before, you know, we're busy with our, you know, nine to five jobs. We're, do, you know, you got, you know, you got kids, you got the house bills, you've got all this other stuff you've got to do. Um, but, um, the thing I found, uh, when I made the decision to say, okay, I need some mentorship. And this was before I found any live mentors. It was literally just saying, look at, I'm going to take a half hour a day and I will either, you know, I found some mentors, whether it's podcasts, videos, you know, books, whatever. I take a half hour a day and say, I'm going to steal that time to be mentored by these individuals and make real notes about what they're trying to teach me. Um, and I will tell you that will slowly build up and you will slowly get the confidence to start looking for quality of, you know, good mentors and live mentors. And when you stumble across them, you know, sometimes that's what happens. You stumble across them in life. Um, you know, you have to be able to be ready to recognize it and move forward with it. I would say that uh, possibly one of the most undervalued things uh, these days anyhow is almost that uh, sort of apprenticeship. Um, and it's one of the most, 
undersold and undervalued sort of processes these days. But I know uh, personally that that's um, something that you value. Uh, and I'm curious to, to know a little bit more just for, for everybody else that's listening. Um, if you have any particular thoughts on, um, you know, what the, the, the difference is in terms of outcome, uh, value of outcome rather, uh, of, you know, let's say like a standard sort of uh, education uh, versus um, a direct sort of apprenticeship. Like if you've noticed anything that comes out of it, so um, in particular from, from your experience as a coach or as a business leader. Right. Um I think when I look at the difference between that apprenticeship versus, you know, an education, um, I, I think one of the the biggest things is that we need to recognize that you can have an education, you just don't necessarily have the experience. Um, with apprenticeship, you may not have the experience or the education, but you will get both. Um, you know, a case in point, uh, many, many years ago when I was a project manager, we hired a junior guy there and he was fresh out of school. Smart kid. I'm not going to knock him for that. But uh, he was frustrated. And I said, well, what's wrong? He said, well, I should be making X number of dollars and I should have this much time. And he just basically, you know, this mindset that I came out of came out of school. So I think I'm worth X number of dollars. And it's one of the, you know, self-confidence is a wonderful thing. But you know, ignorance is another thing. And, you know, I, I literally kindly tried to put him in his place. I said, wait a minute, you expect to make as much as I have working in this business for 10 years with the same amount of time with half the headache. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. You should learn to, I said, and I was mentoring this or apprenticing him, I guess is the best way, because he was my junior, junior guy. And I said, look, you've got to prove yourself. And that's what apprenticeship does. Apprenticeship when done right, helps you to prove yourself that I can do this. Um, and I've done some apprenticeship on my own, even when I was in engineering. Um, you know, uh, I, I ended up working as a mechanical engineer uh, in a shop doing uh, CNC machining and stuff. And I deliberately put myself down on the floor instead of being up in the Crystal Castle uh, sitting with a computer and telling guys, this is what you need to make. And I sat down and I went down and I spent time with the machinist. I said, Hey, help me, show me how to run the machine. You know, I'll pick up the crap. I'll sweep the floors, whatever. And this is a guy that's coming with a full education with a regular paycheck, you know? And, um, you know, and I did those things and I spent time with the welders and I spent time with, you know, other people that would be interacting with the products that we were building. And I can, say very, very confidently, the amount of knowledge that I gathered from those individuals, you won't find in a textbook. Um, and I think that's the problem when we undervalue apprenticeship. Um, apprenticeship gives us the passing of experience. Uh, apprenticeship gives us the, uh, gives us, um, a, a, if you want, you can say it gives you a foot in, into whatever industry you're going into. Um, you know, because it helps you to build a reputation within that individual in that in that area. Whereas if you know you go to school and hey, uh, higher education is important. I, I won't say anything against it, but you're coming off from ground zero, trying to say, hey, because I have this piece of paper, I know what I'm doing. And you know, I think apprenticeship is also a safe way for you to learn as an individual how to make some mistakes and have some real time learning on how to deal with those mistakes because they don't just go away. 
And uh, I think that's why I think apprenticeship is so important. Um, and, um, you know, but as I said, again, on the other side, I think education is important, but that need of experience and hands-on work um, is, is critical for the maturity of the individual and their learning. very interesting because I mean most of the time um, I, again it seems to be that uh, the higher education in, in the more immediate sense of things and how things are operating these days and to trump apprenticeship and that that self that sense rather of self-entitlement uh, due to a theoretical merit tends to seem to be outweighing in terms of value of the application the merit of application and experience so it's uh it's always refreshing to hear a perspective um that seems to value the balance of the two rather than one trumping the other so that's a that's excellent to hear um yeah. one of the major one of the major interesting points um uh, in particular about yourself um amongst many other things is the fact that you successfully established a uh, long-standing martial arts business um, and, and it's a very niche market. So, um, I wanted to chat with you a little bit about that too, and just, um, pick your brain on that and how, uh, it's very clear, obviously you had some pretty important, uh, influences and, uh, and mentorship that, uh, perspectives and, um, I'm assuming some of the tools and information that you would have required to support you in this endeavor, but, uh, I'd very much be interested to hear about how uh, you found uh, it challenging, but also the rewarding process of uh, working to establish a, a small business development in such a market. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting challenge uh, to get started in the industry that way. Um, I think one of the things, and, and again, I was grateful for a lot of the mentorship I got and was able to extrapolate from my various mentors, like I said about Jeff and Betty and uh, another guy by uh, Warner and a few other people that when, you know, when it was time to start it, you know, you, you have to take a much more, you, I had to learn how to balance passion with business. Um, and in the beginning, it's very hard when you're passionate about something. Um, you know, the, the business side, Kind of is there, but it's not there unless you've been disciplined to use the business side of your brain for years, uh, which I was lucky to do because of my project management and budgeting and all that, those type of things that you had to deal with. But you, you'll find that the, the challenge is there. You'll find that the, some of the biggest nerves that you'll always have when you're starting up something that you're passionate about is your brain will usually tell you, okay, what if this doesn't work? Right. What happens if, you know, this thing that I really, really love, nobody wants it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And um, having to work through that was probably one of the biggest things you ever had to do. But I think looking back on it, I think you have to go through that process, um, that little bit of fear. Um, and you have to be able to say, OK, it's not that you know, if it does happen that, you know, it doesn't work. It's not that you're any less as a human being. It's just that at that given point in that given time, in that given location, what you're offering is, doesn't have a perceived value yet to the individuals that are there. 
you know, it, you know, it's like the, you know, we, you always hear the joke about, you know, somebody trying to sell ice to people up North in the middle of winter. It's just, it's just you know, people need ice, but they, it's, it's not of a value there. they're not going to pay for it. Um, and, you know, you have to respect that. And then as you started, you know, for me, you know, I had to look at a couple of different ways of doing it. And the thing I've learned is you can't always assume the way everybody else is doing it is always the right way. Mm. Um, you know, That's a very interesting in, statement, uh, it, uh, because uh, one of the things that I found particularly interesting about how you frame uh, the business or uh, and the club initially was uh, your perspective on how you were providing uh, not just the martial arts, but uh, education, martial education. So was that one of the major ways that you had found yourself? Uh, how, did, how did you do that exactly? What, what um, kind of drove you to that? Because that in particular is really what stands out to me. Being able to sort of um, capture something that's pretty unique uh, in terms of education and also implementation. Uh, how did you yeah. that? Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. I think um, when I looked at this, you know, and, and again, Lily said, okay, how am, I, how am I giving a martial education? When I came to there, I said, well, what are, what are my goals for this individual? You know, like sometimes we go blind and we say, I'm going to just teach a martial art and you're going to like that martial art and you're going to eat that martial art. But I already came from a slightly varied background already before teaching that one art. And, and I said, well, no, let's, let's look at this differently, right? Let's, let's get you a, 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 an understanding, a martial, you know, when I look at a martial education, I'm looking at it from the perspective of saying, okay, so I am, you know, I have trained in a few different other arts. I'm aware of those arts. So why don't I help you to see them and understand them? Um, you may not master them, but at least you'll have an education deep enough at that point when I first started the club of saying, okay, well, oh, that guy, from what I can see and understand, that guy's doing boxing or that guy's doing judo or that guy's doing a kicking art of Taekwondo or, oh, that's what makes it different from karate, you know. And sometimes it's part of that education. Then also I found that there was deeper levels in that, whether you start going into the philosophical side of it, um, the, the, the mental components of strategy and everything else that's available through various various books given in a particular culture um you know whether it's you know the art of war whether it's the book of five rings you know things like this and to help people kind of see beyond just the punch and the kick um and that's kind of where that idea started of trying to get people that education um and and help them recognize that martial arts is more than just this a physical outcome. Many of us, we start with a physical outcome. That's what we're looking for. But it, it can become a lot more than just that. Um, you know, so, you know, when I sat there, I said, well, how do I differentiate myself from other martial arts schools? I says, this is how I'm going to do it. And, um, and you know, that was probably one of the first big steps. Well, that's excellent. Uh, it, really, it really does stand out because it's something I feel that uh, wasn't, Ever necessarily highlighted or outlined in a lot of uh, different ways, and it, it doesn't really detract from anybody else out there that 
doing, you know, what they've been doing or how it's been done, but it certainly does uh, innovate and uh, present martial arts in a different light. And I think that's been a, a pretty valuable experience for a number of different people that have had the opportunity to be able to train uh, under. Great. But it's, uh, it's certainly something that, that signifies that it's uh, it's not all just a poke, uh, a punch and a kick, right? It's something a little bit more if uh, the people participating are willing to kind of explore that. Um, was it something, I guess, in, in your own personal experience that, uh, again, developed in your mind over time, having had so many different opportunities to train in uh, various arts throughout your life? I, I, think, I think that it, it refined more over time. Um, I think when you first, it's interesting, when you first start out a business, um, what happens sometimes is you look around to either the closest, closest that help you to get the skills or you look around in the industry that you're going in and you, you know, you, want, you choose to say, I should emulate them. You know, I should do what they're doing. And, you know, in many cases, there are elements that, yes, that's what you do because there's just good principles but then you don't want to ever become a cookie cutter, um, you know, because then at, that, at the end of the day, then when you become a cookie cutter um, process of another, you know, you're just one of many then. Um, and so as, as things progress and as I continued my own, my own personal life philosophy, which was, you know, continually growing, continually learning, right? Um, so what happens is I said, okay, well, I'm going to keep learning keep learning, learning from different people, uh, whether it's in different arts or similar arts, I'm going to learn from them, continue to learn, get different perspectives. And it continually evolved and, and just became, it resonated even more and more with me over time. Um, and as a result, it also permeated into the Revolution brand. Well, and I really do appreciate you taking the time today to share that all with us. Um, where can people go to learn a little bit more about uh, what, what you do? I mean, you're over in Malta now, but uh, is there any website uh, that people can go to check out more about what you have to offer? If they're in Europe, they can look you up. Sure. Yes, um, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Um, I guess right now the, the best way is through Facebook. You can always check up uh, Sifu Chuck Martial Arts and you'll find me there. Um, there's a Facebook page there. Go ahead and like that. Uh, you can also check out uh, SifuChuck.com. That's S-I-F-U-C-H-U-C-K.com. I'm there. Um, there's a... Um, for those that just want to get more of a practical mindset, uh, there's a book I co-authored uh, called Psychological Self-Defense. You can find that on Amazon. And uh, feel free to pick up a copy there, and uh, hopefully you'll get some value and some tips that you can use at that point. Uh, those right now are probably the biggest ways to get a hold of me. And um, keep going from there. That's perfect. Uh, we'll definitely uh, have to take a look into some of those things. And then uh, I think... Uh, down in the future, there may be even some interest in uh, having you back if you've got some time to maybe share a little bit more about uh, what you wrote in that book, because uh, I know there's definitely a whole field of interest and uh, certainly a, a lot of conversation that can be held over just the psychological elements uh, of self-defense. That would be awesome. I would love to.
All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Chuck, and uh, you have yourself a great day. Perfect. Thank you. And you too. Excellent. Take care. Okay. Thank you once again to our guest today, Chuck O'Neill, founder of Revolution Wing Chun and co-author of the book Psychological Self-Defense. To find out more about Sifu Chuck, you can go to sifuchuck.com. That's S-I-F-U-C-H-U-C-K.com. It's once again, S-I-F-U-C-H-U-C-K.com. This has been your host, Brandon Schluterkat of the Uneducated Ape Podcast. And this has been our very first episode with our very first guest. I cannot wait to share future episodes with you all. So be sure to subscribe and keep posted about anything coming up. Uh, We also have an IG page now, so you can check that out as well. The Uneducated Ape on Instagram. And we also have a Facebook page that will keep you posted on all upcoming podcasts and guests. You can look us up at www.facebook.com slash The Uneducated Ape. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to share more with you in the future. Cheers, guys.